0: we are here it is january of 2019 this is behind the dm screen we are three dms helping each other out and asking each other questions and what have you so uh sam say hello hello mike say hello yo and i'm jeff Griner. Sam. Yes, sir. Tell us about what has happened
1: in your gaming world since the last time we chatted. Okay, well, I haven't played anything since the last time we chatted. I've done some prep, but it's the holidays. It was November, and then it was December, and, you know, those two months, they're just really hard to game. I think I am not alone in this. Just to remind people what I'm doing, I am running an Edge of the Empire game on Sunday nights, every other Sunday. I'm running a pre-published adventure there called Beyond the Rim. It's been greatly adjusted or changed or whatnot based on the... PCs and all that but it is a published adventure I'm also uh, playing now in an Edge of the Empire game every other Friday so that's going to be a lot of fun because I'll get to experience experience that that system from the other side of the table or the other side of the screen and I also still run my uh, basic D&D slash Labyrinth Lord game every other Friday in the Barrow Maze. That's the kind of pickup game that I have a bunch of players for and whoever shows up shows up and we go into the dungeon and then we leave it's a mega dungeon so anyway so that's what's going on, but none of those groups have met because of the holidays. And so the last time we did meet, I had I, ha- I have kind of an issue that I'd like to talk about, and I'm sure that this is an issue that is not an unheard of thing. I don't know how prevalent it is in D and D because I think D and D is very very accessible. Fifth edition D and D is very very accessible. So here's here's the issue, and then we can talk about it. So one of my players in my Edge of the Empire game, it turns out, I found. Found Out does not have the core rulebook. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I found out was because um, in in Edge of the Empire, at the end of each session, you give some XP and the characters spend their XP. They they get anywhere between like 5 and 25 XP on average at the end of each session. And then you spend your experience points to increase your character's skills and talents and specializations throughout the the whole game because after every session you you get some XP and then you spend it right away. You don't hoard Mm -hmm. it. It's not like Numenera, whereas in Numenera, you can either spend your XP on something in the session to help you overcome an obstacle or a challenge, or you can spend your XP on character advancement, it's not like that at all. In this system, you get XP a little bit after every session, and then you spend it. Sometimes you don't spend it right away because sometimes the the talents that you want to purchase or or whatnot cost a little bit more than what you have, so you might not always be spending it. But but on average, you're buying something like every other session, you can improve your character a great deal. It
0: it sounds exactly the way Torg Eternity works as well. It's it, and it's a set like five XP for every act is is how they set it up that you complete, okay. and you might actually complete
1: two acts at a session or whatever but yeah it's the exact same yeah yeah the, the 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 exact uh xp award determination is based on lots of different factors but ultimately it the long and short of it is they get a little bit of xp each session well anyway so what happened is the session previous to my last one it ended on a cliffhanger but it was kind of in the middle of a scene and we did not resolve the scene so i didn't give them the xp mm-hmm. so in my last session we resolved that scene first thing we did like a little recap and we said okay here's the cliffhanger what are you guys all doing let's you know let's resolve this scene and then they escape the scene and now they're in their ship and and they have you know gone into hyperspace and so they got away they're they're no longer in danger and so then i said okay well let's take a few minutes now i will give you the xp and we can talk about what you're doing with your characters because it's the first first sort of now we've had a few sessions, two or three, four sessions, and now now that you've kind of played your character a little bit, you know, I'm the kind of GM that I allow them that if they start building their character and then it turns out in, in two or three sessions they don't really the, – the character didn't turn out the way they wanted or something doesn't work the way that they conceived it or that they thought it would work or whatnot. I let them change things up at the beginning of a campaign. Sure. so I, I wanted to sort of sit and have a little conversation about well you know what are you guys doing with your XP and who you know what direction is everybody going anyway so during this conversation that's how it came out that this character this this player doesn't have the core book so to to create uh, and improve his his character he's basically needed a lot of help but The reason why, a part of the reason why I decided to do it at the point I did was partly because it was the first time they were kind of now moving to a different section of the campaign, and they were alone in their ship, but also because I had realized during the sort of final resolution of this last cliffhanger scene, he was kind of distracted and didn't really do a whole lot, and and it kind of became obvious that he didn't really know what his character can do. I had to sort of you know, investigate that a little bit. And it turns out, well, part of the reason for that is he doesn't have the core book. He doesn't understand how certain parts of the game work and how they're supposed to work together and how the character's, can integrate their, you know, and, and each other's sort of skill sets and, and things like that. So, uh, so here's, here's the, the what I want to open up to the conversation. I, I my, uh, my meaning here is not to say, Oh God, this player, I can't believe he didn't bother to get the book. How horrible, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not the, that's not where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is, uh, you know, so I spoke to him afterwards and I encouraged him to, you know, find a way to get access to the book, I told him I could help him do that. And, you know, I I mean, because I want my player to be able to experience the full game. And and I want him to be able to enjoy the game and know what's going on. And so I was willing to, I mean, heck, I would have even bought him uh, the book, you know, uh, if he needed it or whatnot. But he didn't really seem interested in wanting to buy the book and learn all the rules. He he was like, no, I think I can just basically wing it with just the, you know, I have, he, he said, you know, I have a few pages photocopied from, you know, another friend's book or whatnot. So he has, you know, and he found a website that has like, some very bare-bones things on it, and he can use all of that, and he'll be just fine. Here's my question. Well, first, I have not had this happen in D&D 5th edition, and as I said, I think D&D 5th edition has a little bit of an easier on-ramp, not just because of the basic rules, but just because it's obviously very, very popular, and the core book has a lot of different character options. And and Edge of the Empire is the same way, but maybe it's a little harder to find, and it is a pricey book, and it's not available in any electronic form because of uh, Star Wars licensing and whatnot. Whereas, you know, if a player doesn't want to buy the D&D player's handbook, they could go to D&D Beyond, or they could get the basic rules, which are free, or whatever. So D&D feels a little easier to on-ramp somebody, but what do you do when somebody really isn't interested in learning the rest of the rules? They just want to be given a character sheet and 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 sit at a table and and sort of do almost the bare minimum.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a couple of things going on. If if this situation is such that the player is not interested in engaging in the game and engaging in the story, then that's a that's one issue. Mm-hmm. If the player is not interested in investing in the rules and the, the books and that kind of stuff and, and just wants to sort of show up in role play, that's a completely different issue. And honestly, there are times when I'm playing a a system that might be new to my players or it's it's a situation where they just don't have the books. Uh, when, when I run Torque, nobody owns the book except for me. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a point where if they're into the game, I actually sometimes prefer that because then they don't get so hung up on the rules and they just get... Into Well, can I do this or I want to do this? And then then I help them figure out whether or not it's possible and and how the rules function in that way. Uh, So that does mean that I have to approach these games with a a mentality of I'm also a little bit of a teacher of the game, but I'm okay with that. I've been doing that for a long time. Uh, But that's a whole different issue than if somebody is showing up and they're just not really... They want to hang out with people, but they don't really want, care about the game that much at all.
1: Like they're not engaging. I and I don't know. So I like I have no problem teaching somebody the game. And and I you know I when I try to invite players to a game, I don't quiz them about whether you know, whether they own the books, Uh, to me, that's not a prerequisite, but it is a prerequisite to be interested enough to have a conversation. You know, Uh, I mean, I I was, you know, willing to sit with him and go through things and talk about things. It's not, there's not a requirement for him to outlay a a bunch of cash to purchase something he doesn't want to. But I I think part of the problem is it sort of highlighted a, a lack of investment that I didn't realize until that moment. Right.
0: Yeah, no, and that's, and see, that's a definition. like, I have a a guy in my D&D group, well, it's the same group, but I have a guy in in our D&D game who, in all the time we've been playing 5th edition, like, since it launched, uh, actually before, because we were playing the the D&D Next, he's never owned the player's handbook, and he gets by fine, right? He borrows from people at the table, he just levels up his characters when we're there, he jots down enough notes that he can figure out what his barbarian can and can't do. Uh, and maybe he's not as optimized as he could be. and He doesn't use every power the way as much as he could or to the most greatest effect, but he's having fun and he's engaged in the game. And so it's going fine. Yeah. But if, yeah, but if there's, if, if this is a hint that this character, this player is not really interested in the game,
1: then there's a different conversation to have, I think. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I, and I, and I, honestly, I don't know, you know, we, we, we sort of ended it and we took a hiatus and I. I've talked to him a couple times since since our last session but he's not real open to conversation at the moment. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's got some personal stuff going on or or what, but sure. you know, but I, you know, so he the I, it's an odd thing, right? And because it's kind of a different system and it's kind of a different game, I think he was really excited to play in the Star Wars universe, but you know, with with the way that FFG's Star Wars games run. They're very narrative. So they rely on having a heavy imagination and being able to describe things. And it's not about, oh, well, what's my skill in this? I'm only going to try the things I'm going to be good at. But but you do need to know how to figure out how to resolve what it is that you're proposing to do, or at least understand the terminology and the options that are available to you and I don't I so I don't know I this is really the first time in a very long time I've run into this issue uh, I mean you know this is something that has happened previously in a, you know in previous editions and it's funny that you mentioned that it, it you almost like it better when uh, players don't necessarily have the rules cuz you know that's the way first edition was set mm-hmm. up you know first edition AD&D was the DM has <laughs> full capability and all the rules at at his or her fingertips and is the one that's adjudicating everything and the players all they need is their character sheet and the only thing that's on that character sheet is what the DM tells them to put on there basically mm-hmm. Ah, uh, they don't get to know any of the other rules. And so I you know, I mean, I'm a player from way back. So I've played in that sort of, you know, I didn't of course last very long, but you <laughs> know i've I've played in I've played in those sorts of games, but I feel like today in modern gaming, it's not really like that anymore. And in general, usually players that I run into they want to know more, not less. And so I've just this is it's a weird problem for me to have. At least I feel like it's a weird problem for me to have. So the question is, then, how do you in, increase engagement? You know, this is this has been a problem now for two sessions with this person. You know, with one session, I can kind of write it off, hey, everybody has a bad day or everybody has a, a day where they're distracted or, you know, they've got something else going on or they're really tired or whatever. But what do you do when you start, when you're afraid to see it start becoming a pattern and then it appears that it is? How important is it that they,
2: in particular, are are that engaged? Like, what... What effect does it have on the rest
1: of the game or the rest of the players that are there? Does it hold everybody up? In in this particular setup, I only have four players. And the way that they each built their characters, they each have a sort of specialty, you know, a specialty that—that's what they do. That's what they're good at. It's
0: like it's like the A team. You got the muscle and the face man and yeah, whatever. Yeah, you've got yeah. the
1: muscle. You've got the face. You've got the doctor who can fix everything, and you've got the computer right. expert kind of thing, right? And it turns out that this character is the one who has the fighting capability, mm-hmm. and everybody else has other capabilities. And in, in Edge of the Empire, you know, it's not necessary for the game is not necessarily combat driven, but it is Star Wars. There's a lot of, you know, sort of short skirmishes at times, and there are dangerous things that you need someone with some muscle at times. And so for this particular group, this character could be important. And so this is this is actually why I'm asking, because, of course, you know, as the GM, I can. Set up the scenario and make it work any way I, I want it to, you know, and I could choose to introduce certain things or not as, you know, based on who's going to be at what session or whatnot. But the thing is, like, this is why it's a question for me, because if I start uh, shunting things over and highlighting the other characters, now this player is going to get less sort of spotlight time
2: and that might be all right right if they're if they're not drawing the spotlight to themselves okay if they're not you know if if, if the spotlight doesn't fall on them
0: that same player that i've had for years that plays the barbarian and doesn't own the the player's handbook uh, like i've had that conversation with him i'm like you know i've talked to him hey are you like are you into the game are you enjoying the story are you enjoying your character you know what, what uh, is there something we need to do or whatever to put you more front and center or to make it more fun for you? Because obviously they're, they're electing to show up every mm-hmm. every week. Right. They want to be there. And that player's answer is no, I'm kind of happy being the player who hangs out in the background and I'm there to smash things as a barbarian when I want to. And I've, every now and then when my character gets a spotlight or something, that's fine, but I don't want to be the focus a, a session after session after session. And he's kind of cool with hanging back. And he's having fun and the rest of the players are having fun and they're glad to have him there. And uh, it's just. Just become a non-issue right so i think that's the conversation that needs to happen not um why aren't you engaged the conversation is um do we need to engage you more or are you cool with the where things are yeah you know? and, it,
2: and yeah. it's possible like i haven't played i haven't played this is edge of the empire right yep. yeah yeah i haven't i haven't played edge of the empire and it's possible that that game requires more direct interaction than than like D does where it's like here's your fighter you know champion fighter
1: mm-hmm.
2: hang out in the back and hit stuff when yeah. we when we point you know, and
1: the, yeah, the, the problem, I guess that, I, that w- one of the causes of the problem is that this 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 player's PC is the brother of another PC and they intertwined their backstories with each other, which is awesome. I mean, that's a, it's a great thing. But then that means that his his sort of focus is protecting his sister in the game. That's kind of one of his motivations. Sure. And so is, is he not doing that? Well, but that's all he's doing oh okay um but then then he doesn't know the rules around how to do that right okay so it's so i I, I think think it's a combination of a few things and i'm not yeah so you know really i didn't expect us to necessarily solve this in 15 minutes it's more about talking about it and sort of letting it ruminate in my brain and and getting feedback and bouncing ideas off of each other and
0: no i think i think you're in a good place to to have some to, to to try to make some different observations and see what's uh what might be going on and have some conversations about uh how comfortable the party is with with how that is playing out and if everybody's cool then you know then you then you go into teacher mode and just make sure he knows how to do what he wants to do Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if not, then you have a whole other slew of issues. (laughs)
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Unfortunately, I think I do. Yeah, I I might. I mean, I I don't know. You know, like I said, there's always there's always a lot of give and take right at any table at any given time. You know, somebody had to work, you know, three 12 hour shifts and somebody, you know, has, you know, their kid is sick and somebody has, you know, had a fight with their wife this weekend, you know, that kind of I mean, there's always stuff right i just i i like my gaming time to, to to try to be that you know okay you're getting away from all that stuff let's engage in this and then right. you can ignore that stuff for a while but you know that doesn't always work for everybody so you know sometimes major things are going on so but i, I don't now that this player has had uh this issue now a couple of sessions in a row i'm just sort of like oh i hope that i'm not losing this guy you know
0: okay yeah Well, good luck. (laughs) It sounds like this is a player who needs some support. And you know who else needs support? Us here at the Tome Show. And if you would like to support us out there, listeners, you can go to our Amazon or DMs Guild affiliate links from thetomeshow.com. Follow those links. Do your shopping as normal. We get a a small percentage, and I usually try to distribute that out to uh,
1: all of our great contributors on the show. See how I transitioned away from you, Sam? (laughs) Yeah. Do you know that the Tome Show recently gave away 5th edition D&D goodies? just as an appreciation for our fans.
0: Yeah, we gave away one product to somebody who follows us on Facebook. We gave away one product to somebody who follows us on Twitter, and we gave away one product to somebody who supports us on the Patreon that I'll talk about uh, in the next break.
1: We appreciate your support, and we're trying to show it in various different ways. Absolutely.
0: All right. It is my turn. I will start my timer. So I am in a similar situation to Sam in that I had a session, like, right before we recorded last time, and then the holidays hit, and I've been traveling traveling and running around and doing things. And I have a session in like two days, but I haven't played since the last one. So that's where I'm at. And if if we recall from, from I do have two questions I wanna ask, and they're not player focused, so much as narrative focused, uh, like uh, unlike Sam's question. If you recall from last time, they were, they made it like halfway-ish through the next chapter of the Rod of Seven Parts storyline. And I was thinking that if they go quickly through that, and it's possible they could, because you can actually converse with the pit fiend that has the part, and just give get the pit fiend to give it up. The pit fiend doesn't really care about the rod; just wants to to say "screw you" to the devils, or the the is that right? The devils, the demons, whichever it is. <laughs> In rather the seven parts, yeah. I don't remember it's the chaos ones. The that's demons. Demons. Yeah. He, wants to, he, yeah. he wants to say "screw you" to the demons. So so that's so the point being that might go quickly. At that point, I have. One thing that may happen, depending on what a player does, and then we're off to the big end of of Out of the Abyss Battle Royale scene. And I have to figure out exactly how I'm going to do both of those things. So the thing that might happen in between those two things is... That I have a character who, or a player whose character, died in the fight against Orcus, and I think I've told some of this story in pieces before. And so, this is a character who had, through interaction in the Out of the Abyss storyline, had become a warlock with or Blue as his patron. Mm-hmm. And so, rather than actually have this character die, what happened was or Blue wove a quick illusion that made it look like the character died and then snagged him off to the abyss, where time flows differently on other planes. And so while the the party was just missing this character for like a week or two, in the abyss, he was there for like 50 years. Under the tutelage of Fraser Blue, and then suddenly comes back 50 years older and now a wizard and an illusionist, specifically because, you know, Fraser Blue. And Fraser Blue did this with the intent of being like, hey, when you get back, I need you to collect these like five components, and you guys help me come up with ideas on what would be needed. And you're going to conduct this ritual that's going to bring me back to the world, but, you know, free, not bound into the the Underdark like all the other demon lords are. So I can do whatever I want, <laughs> right? Well, as of the last session, the char- the player, the character, uh, has collected everything that he needs or has everything he needs in order to conduct his, his ritual now. So I might give them like some downtime to see if I can prompt him to do that and I've already decided that because it's Frazer Blue and he's the demon lord of deception right that the ritual's not going to do what Frazer Blue said it was going to do it's not actually going to summon Frazer Blue to the world but I I decided because Kanan's Tome of Foes came out and it's got that cool section on boons from demons and like what it, what it, you know mechanical uh, benefits for being like a chosen of a demon lord right, or whatever
2: right things you can throw on uh, cultists yeah yeah
0: Mm-hmm. So so I had this idea of, no, Frazer Blue is not going to use the ritual to come to the world, because that just makes him a target for all, all, all of the agents of all the other demon lords who want to go after him, right? Plus, he knows what the party's doing, because he's been watching them and working with them this whole time. So it's just, it's just going to be like, hey, I'm finally free, and now you're catching me in this stupid ritual and making me fight everybody? Screw you, you know? <laughs> so my idea is that Frazer Blue is going to be not so much summoned to the world, but bound to the soul of this follower right the, the the wizard who trained with him for 50 years and then i'm going to give that Player, like a bunch of these boons because you've got actual Fraser Blue in you and he wants to make sure you survive. And that's going to be great. And then the idea would be is that Fraser Blue kind of knows where this is going, that the end of this whole story arc is they've collected all the rods of seven parts. They've they've assembled it together into one, the one big rod and they go after Miska the wolf spider, who is also in my storyline, Thera's done, uh, and the unspeakable one and all these other different entities. They're all the same thing. And so if they manage to kill off Miska, which is what Fraz wants to have happen, then Fraz can sort of emerge and absorb this divine energy and become way more powerful, right? So that's sort of Fraz's long game. The question I have then is this player has gone through several months and and different deceptions with the party and whatever in order to collect all these different components that he needs to conduct the ritual it seems a little anticlimactic to be like and then you sit around and you make a circle and you cast some some you know you say some magic words and and the incense burns and whatever and then haha this thing happens right i kind of want to get some ideas on how can i make the actual casting of the ritual more exciting so thoughts can what about something extreme like
2: you know either self sacrifice or sacrifice of something i mean is this a surprise moment for the rest of the players are they
0: the rest of the players have no idea that this character has been collecting these parts and pl- and planning to do this ritual uh is there a component of the ritual that's particularly you know
2: noteworthy i mean i'm thinking like if they had an npc that they had been tying with and then the guy pulls out the heart of the npc
0: <laughs> like whoa what did you Uh-oh. do sure yeah uh not specifically like now so part of like he uh, frazer's the 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 demon lord of deception right so part of what he has to do is get you know sort of convince the his own party to assist him in the ritual without them knowing what they're doing
2: right so do you remember you know if we so there's there's two if we go back to buffy the vampire slayer mm-hmm. there's the part where willow is kind of turning into dark willow. She decides she's going to mm. resurrect Buffy after Buffy's gone to heaven. And she like, you know, a deer comes up and she pets the deer and then cuts its throat. You know, if, if the last part of the ritual is something where they start to go like, wait, wait, what do you, what are you doing like that? You know, we're, we're all just, conducting a nice ritual here and you just did what you know what's the what what would kind of push it over the line or or start to edge close to that line and they're getting more and more like wait a minute
0: yeah so so not as not as far as like a human sacrifice because that's clearly like whoa no this is bad yeah
2: but maybe Um, something a little what if he you know so and then i'm thinking about oh who's the jackass in harry potter (laughs) Malfoy, draco no the guy who cuts his own hand off he's a rat most of the time P- P- oh, Peter or Pettigrew. Pettigrew. Yeah, yeah, so Pettigrew has to cut his own hand off, right, to summon right. his master, and that's like you know mm. that's an old move.
1: <laughs> so here's here's a question for you. You know, so so this PC has been sort of gathering all the information and required components and knowledge about the ritual and and keeping it from the party, but mm-hmm. but is anybody in the outside world are they aware? I mean, like. Uh, you know what what you're describing so here's here's what I'm hearing I'm hearing that there is a group of people who have a goal of bringing Fraser blue onto the material plane uh, onto the mortal plane and that would be a problem for me as a cleric of Paylor or whatever. Mm. And I have heard whisperings of this and had a premonition of this. And so I need to find that group of people that is doing that because now I consider them cultists and I need to disrupt this. Ritual. Is it possible that any of the NPCs in your world have figured out that this PC is, you know, doing something with Frazer Blue? Even if the other PCs have not, you know, are not, you know, they're sort of unwitting participants. Um, At this Mm -hmm. point, but they, but so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, this, this is sort of the, the scene, this is like the climax, the disruption of Dark Ritual, kind of like, uh, you know, but in reverse, you're right in reverse, it's kind of like, you know, at the uh, the end of the Keep on the Shadowfell, when you try to, you know, stop Kalarell from doing this Dark Ritual and uh, close the portal and, and, you know, seal the rift and all that kind of Yahoo stuff. Yeah, but except except from this position it's other people coming in to stop the PCs who are the cultists in the scene except but, most of the party doesn't yeah, know it
0: <laughs> the PCs don't know it right. like i like the idea that like a bunch of knights on griffin back in armor show up and that you fight them off and you manage to you know hold hold them off until the ritual's done um, and, some and then... of, you know
1: that there should be clues about you know, well maybe yeah. you know, like what's going on? Like, oh, these people are using radiant damage. Wait a minute. People are using radiant right. damage against us? Like, but then, is... but then you don't find out exactly, you know, that they're that they're paladins of Pelor right. until the fight's over right. and you find the holy symbols, you know. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. shoot, what are we doing?
0: Yeah. That could be fun.
1: That would be something that like, you know, it's not because because part of the whole shtick here is the rest of the party doesn't know right like they they might have clues or there might have been indications but they haven't put it together and so they don't really know that they're doing something that another group in the world would see as absolutely evil yeah i just have to figure out what sort of
0: agent or patron or
1: whatever would would
0: be able to pierce through the deception of a demon lord of deception you know certainly there's somebody so i can figure that and and it could very well be another demon lord or something like that right
2: Remember that he can have plans that are stacked together, right? He doesn't have to have one big deception. He could have five
0: interlocking deceptions or layers. Well, and in theory, it's been like five different – it's been like five different deceptions that have led to this moment, right? Right, Right.
1: yeah. And I mean it could be a a cleric or a paladin of, of a different god gets a premonition. I mean it could be something that simple. It's Mm -hmm. something the players don't even necessarily ever learn until after the climactic battle in his dying breath. He says, you know, I have failed my my God, you know, your your evilness is going to bring, you know, this horrible thing into the world. And I have failed, you know, kill me so that I can repent, you know, or whatever. Like, and then they'll be like, whoa, holy crap, what happened? Right. And, you know, but it doesn't. So I guess my my thing is, it doesn't really matter how someone else finds out because the players might never even find out how.
0: No, I just have to justify it in my own head. Right,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. But that <laughs> like, like just so that you can improvise and, you know, and use improvisational skills while the whole thing is happening and plan for this incursion or or whatever happens, you know. And depending on how you want to draw it out or whatever, if there is some ritual component, I mean, there needs to be some component that that PC has to either create himself or purchase somewhere that is going to make people whisper, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, that's too iconic of a, you know, like he's not, oh, he's well. not going to use, you know, Aarakocra feathers and, you know, sunshine radiant energy to bring Frazer Blue into the mortal plane.
0: Yeah, no, no, he's, he's done a bunch of, he's, he, most of the components are questionable, except that the party doesn't know that he has them or mm-hmm. what they're for. <laughs>
1: so, Right. But yeah. what I'm saying is, someone somewhere knows or senses that he yeah. has those or that he has purchased those or something it's gonna be noticeable from the outside. And one of one of
0: the one of the components is actually the staff that another party member carries. And so he has to convince that party member let him use the staff.
1: Oh yeah. And see that so. <laughs> that could be the moment where there's a major disruption and a bunch of people riding griffins come in and, you know, right. don't give him the staff, you know, like you know or or, you know, Get the staff, you know, the, the person, you know, the the lead, whoever, the paladin on the griffin is saying, you know, focus on the staff. We need to get that staff away because as soon as he has that staff, he's going to complete his dark ritual. ritual yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, that could be an mm-hmm. amazing epic battle and the the party will start getting hints of, wait, wait, what's going on here? And that can be fantastic.
0: Well, I don't need an epic battle cuz we're after that we're going straight into the battle royale with all the demon lords. Yeah, yeah. No, but no, um, I
1: mean epic, But but epic I need it to be of, yeah. You know, the unveiling yeah, of, of yeah. the secret,
0: you know. I, I want a cool story and I want it to be more than just me describing a ritual. Like I want them to have action and things to do. Yeah, so. Yeah. Cool. Uh well, I've got 25 seconds to to ask my second question then. I mentioned that the battle royale with the demon lords is coming up uh after that, and I'm thinking like I don't have the minis for a bunch of demon lords because they're huge and large and I only have maybe a few of them uh, in actual mini form. And I'm curious about thoughts on how to or whether or not to map out that battle. Like, is it easier just to go theater of the mind? Uh, But I'm going to be like handing stat blocks to players and letting them playing the demon lords fighting each other. So is it going to be important for them to have the the maps and just maybe print out, you know, paper tokens or whatever to represent it? Thoughts? There
2: there are some really good flat plastic minis for almost every one of the demon princes, I think. I know that they have Orcus and Demogorgon. I don't know if they have all of them. Who is it? Printable heroes might... And I think mm-hmm. maybe uh, Trash Mob Minis has stuff like that, so you might poke through their okay. collection and see what you can find. Those are two dimensional. Right. You could also kind of think it through and see if whether or not Theater of the
0: Mind could work. Well, and I think I might have to go Theater of the Mind, if only because uh, my size printer has gone kaput. Yeah. I, I, my printer doesn't work anymore, and I have two days to sort it out. So yeah, the other ones
2: you could you could essentially change your scale to like a twenty foot cube square, you know. sure, and then give them all a normal size mini. <laughs> you know?
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) I guess my question is do you have any players who really lean on the map and minis when you're doing something that is a large battle? Or are they? Are they all pretty good at the theater of the mind type of thing?
0: We we do almost exclusively theater of the mind now, and I usually only map out like big encounters. But this is a big encounter. It's just so big, I don't know that I can map it. So
1: I would stick with theater of the mind personally, uh-huh. especially if you're giving them. Because here's here's the thing: you're you're kind of handing them a page with the demon lord stat block on it. They're going to have to take a moment to read that and they're obviously not going to soak all that in in the first 20 seconds. So part of the fun from at least from my perspective, part of the fun for you as the DM is seeing what all of these players do with these demon lords to fight each other. When mm-hmm. they're not, you know, I mean I'm assuming they don't they're not expecting this and and they're, you know, they're not going to know about the demon lords what the stats and stuff are ahead of time. So that's going to be part of the fun. I think it'll be more fun and more open if they just do theater of their mind. And then I can narratively
0: describe what's going on. Right. Or yeah. And then they've, they've chosen a location rather than doing the ritual in Minzo end, They've chosen, I think I talked about this last time, to make it a little more interesting. And they're doing it in the, in the ruins, of the frozen ruins of a dwarven city that's now inhabited by an ancient white dragon. Yeah. So so the dragon will be running around uh, fighting demon lords too. Right. Or, trying to stay the hell out of their way. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I, I would I would go pure theater of the mind on that. I mean, you, may, you might okay. want to sketch out an initial positional kind of thing.
0: Yeah, just just sort of here's the cavern and here's kind of where people are and just on paper yeah. and, and do it that way. Because yeah. the, the okay. thing okay. is
1: too, you're talking about entities that are so massive and so sort of alien and have the sort of inherent madness to them mm-hmm. that it feels like putting it on a map and constraining your human players to a map mm-hmm. is not going to serve these demon lords well that may be yeah
0: and i and i'm making it all the more confusing because i'm pulling in um some demon lords from kobold press from the creature codex as
1: well just to add a little extra diversity into my my demon lord mix so this is why i like sug Tamoy so much because she's a giant mold spore you know like She's a fungus. How do you, it's also why I like my conids, right? Because it is completely foreign to me how that thing, you know. Zugt-Moy is
0: the only demon lord they know for sure is actually already dead. <laughs>
1: yeah, but so. I, I'm just saying it for, uh, for the overall, like, you know, my – that's part of the reason I like her and I like that kind of right. character because it's so foreign. There's no possible way to know. It's like, right. it's like oh, let's role play. You're an ivy bush how the hell do you role play? an I like, that is so foreign to our experience as humans, you know, like you can conceive of it, kind of how a plant might have consciousness a little bit, or how a fungus might have consciousness or how another race like an orc or a dog or a cobalt or something has consciousness. But it's a little harder when you start getting into the molds and funguses and, and trees, you know. Juob- is the yeah, same the way. Yeah, the ooze. Yeah,
0: yeah. Although, although the, Juoblex is – so they watched Juoblex kill Zugtmoy and then they killed Juoblex. So those are the two that are actually already gone. But but the, your point stands. <laughs> so. All right. My time is up. Before we let Mike take up the rest of the, the episode – I want to remind people, and we mentioned before, that if you want to support the show, another way you can do it is by going to patreon.com slash the Tome Show. If you want to support the show directly for as little as a dollar a a month, you can toss a little bit our way. And then that's the money I'm using to do things like beyond paying the bills for the show. That's the money I'm using to do things like, you know, the contests and and buying some equipment upgrades for some of our our, pe- our hosts who who need better microphones and that kind of stuff. So feel free to head over to patreon.com slash the Tome Show to support us there. Plus the patrons get sometimes, you know, uh a ch- opportunity to give us feedback on and give us some ideas on where we're going and what topics we should cover and that kind of stuff. It's a good little conversation and good community over there.
1: And we do read it and discuss it oh, yeah. and
0: yeah. In fact I have a bunch of people who and so for the, the you Sam mentioned the contest earlier uh, for the Facebook entry and for the Patreon one. I asked specific questions. One of them, I think, Facebook was what? What was your favorite thing from the last year in D and D? And then for Patreon, I did the opposite. So, what are you looking forward to the most in the future? Uh, and I've got a bunch of those I need to respond to, but I've been, you know, traveling for the holidays and and dealing with stuff, so I haven't gotten around to that yet. But but we do, and I read them all. All right, Michael. Yo. would you like some time? I would. I collected all these bonus topics, and we're not going to have time for any of them. <laughs> you thought, like, I remember before the show, it's like, oh, I got like four minutes of stuff. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's usually your right. line. Except right. I'm going last. i got four you minutes of stuff. Nothing to blame on me. That's right. So, all right. You're, 15 minutes. Start. So I got beholder issues. I heard. So I'm
2: running Tomb of Annihilation. I'm running it for two different groups. Both groups are roughly in the same spot, although I, I remember that my Wednesday group has not done level four yet while my Sunday group has. So my Sunday group is now down in the gears of hate. And my Wednesday group is uh, just getting to the level four section. But the level four section is pretty straightforward. There's no, you know, and I've run it now. You,
0: you say you say things like the Gears of Hate as if the rest of us have memorized what the room names mean. But OK,
1: you should. Both of you <laughs> reviewed the book. Sam has it memorized. I, I know. He exactly exactly every I reviewed books. the book like a year ago. <laughs> Gears of hate. I totally have an image in my head of, of what's. Yeah, going
0: he knows.
1: Sure. Put on it. But I don't. And that
0: means that the rest of the players probably don't. They should crack a book open. Ha
2: <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, maybe I should Google that.
0: You're so demanding,
2: Mike. I don't have any time to explain what the Gears of Hate are. You have 14 minutes. 14, right. I'm burning time right now. Uh, anyway, but that's not what I really want to talk about. There is a room in the Vault of Reflection, as you know, level three of the tomb, in which you are in a large circular room with a mirrored floor that looks almost perfectly spherical. And inside is a fun little trap where there's a floating orb covered by a tarp. And when the tarp is removed, it is not a beholder, but a giant magnet thing that sucks anybody that's got armor right to it. And the beholder is actually invisible flying around the room. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've run beholders. And I must have run one before this, but I I don't remember. Right? Like, I I can't remember the last time I ran a 5e beholder. So it means, like, and if you think about it, it's like, in general, like, how many times are we going to run these in our lives? Right? So it's a tricky it's tricky to like do it because one thing I'm discovering running Tomb of Annihilation is how valuable it is to do something once <laughs> in order to do it again. So like it's one thing to read an adventure and run it. It's something else to run it twice. And and that second time, it's way easier, you know, way easier than if you could read it and read it and read it, and read it and then run it. And a Beholder is kind of the same way, like. You have to see it play out and they go, ah, that's what's going on with this. So my first group, I've already kind of made this like, you know, I really don't want to kill more characters. I don't I don't sort of like the super lethality of the tomb when you have these characters that have been around for nine levels. And I'm just going to I was going to start pulling my punches. So I did with my Sunday group and I didn't really tweak the beholder, but I basically took away any of the effects that when they drop to zero, it kills anybody. And the problem was my players figured it out. And they, like, afterwards said, like, you know, or during it, they're like, wow, you're being real nice to us. You know, you should have just killed us with that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And they knew it. And and that kind of, I it, you know, everybody's happy, and they said it was really epic, and they really enjoyed it. And they had some really fun moments with it. There were, uh, My Sunday, the, the fun, the interesting thing is my Sunday group had a much better time with the Beholder than I think my Wednesday group did. Because there was, like, a, a funny scene where they managed to slide underneath the Beholder and charm it, you know, so that they, they, they were able to get out from underneath its anti-magic ray and charm it. And then... They had this conversation with it, and it's spilling the beans on everything that's going on in the tomb because it's like now their friend, right? And then one of the guys, their trickster god, is like, "You cannot!" You know, like I forget what his his thing was, like, "You can't let evil stand" or something like that. So while they're having a conversation, the rogue is setting up the perfect like crossbow shot to the back of the beholder's head, and then shoots the beholder. <laughs> it gets a big ass crit, and then the beholder's angry again, and then the eye rays start flying off again. So it's this fun like they're real worried and they're fighting with the I-rays and then they charm it and they have this conversation and then they go back to fighting it with the (laughs) I-rays. And that was kind of a fun thing that happened, but I was bothered by the fact that they knew I pulled punches. Like they knew they got hit by a disintegrate and weren't disintegrated. Right. When they're like, that was a disintegration that should have probably just killed us outright. But Oh, Mike's being nice. So I, I, I I didn't like that. So I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to do that with my other group. And then the other thing is I'm like the fact, so Beholders are super tricky because their eye rays don't work inside their anti-magic field. And so you you have this continual, like, where do you aim the anti-magic field or do you shut it off completely? Because anybody that's in it is prevented, you know, in many cases, it's better for them to be inside the anti-magic shield because they can always step out of it and do stuff if they want to. But if they're in it, the beholder can't hit them with an eye ray. So they can literally like pop out the side, hit them with a spell and then pop back in again. Right, if they know where it is. So in many cases, I'm like, you know what? He just shuts his eye off and hits you with six eye rays, because that's a better approach. But if they don't have legendary resistance, they're going to get nailed with saber suck spells, like like charm monster. So I said, okay, for the Wednesday group, I'm going to replace the death ray with like a lightning ray, which is not super creative, but whatever.
0: Also, the death the death ray for a beholder is kind of iconic. But yeah, okay. but
2: so is the disintegrate ray, right? Like, you know, it's got like every ray is iconic in some. St- Right. Exactly. But well, <laughs> you know, get up. So when was the last time you ran a beholder, Jeff? Um. When did you run a five E beholder? Run run a few, and then we'll have another conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe once, right. but it's so, I, yeah.
2: And this is kind of my issue that like there's like the way it should be, and then you're like, wow, I'm glad I ran it by the book, and all my players are pissed. Right. Like. Yeah. Right. You want to you want to balance. So what I'm what I'm thinking about, and I started writing about it actually right before the show was like we have a we have a, we have sort of attitudes that we want we sort of have emotions that we want at our gaming table mm-hmm. what are the abilities that the beholder has and how does that affect those emotions i'm you know i'm focusing on the the the, the death stuff cuz it's like the death ray actually wouldn't be bad at all except that you're in the tomb of annihilation And if you get hit by it, that's the end of your character, right there. And if it happens in the first round, go get a Nintendo Switch, because you're out for the next three hours, right? So I said, like, I'm going to take the death ray and turn it into a... Because it has an Enervation ray, which is another necrotic ray. So it's like, it already has two big necrotic rays. But one of them is a drop to zero, and it kills you. And the funny thing is, death ray is based on finger of death, kind of. But mm-hmm. Finger Death doesn't kill you when you drop to
0: zero. So why don't you just replace it with Finger Death?
2: I, well, so that's what I'm kind of thinking I should have done. Okay. Just replace it with Finger Death. But basically, just keep the death rate the same, only remove the drop to zero, you die. Because you already have one of those. You have Disintegrate, which is way worse.
0: Well, Disintegrate right? doesn't drop to zero. Well, if, if it drops yeah. you to zero, you die. But, but yeah. it, it, it just does damage die. until then. Yeah,
2: right, right. But, you know, like even even outside of Tomb of Annihilation, Disintegrate is worse than anything else because you need true resurrection in order to come okay, back. Right. You're not you're not using whatever revivify. So there's the death stuff, and and so what happened? Like when I ran the Beholder last night, which was the second time I ran it, I focused a lot on like its its attitude, and it was you know kind of this big bolsterous, half crazy, psychotic Beholder. That sounds right. Um, yeah, and that was fun because you know I was playing up the psychosis. Like every time he took damage, he thought it was a great injustice in the world, right? But he's happy to dish damage to everyone else, and he talked to so the. The skull, this was a mean thing I did. So you now you have the the skull keys, the skeleton keys, right? So right behind him was a skull that is the eight-sided skeleton key, the fourth key that they needed in order to open up the door in the basement. And it's sitting there in this pile and he's talking to it the whole time. Like it's his friend. And he, he's like, it's the perfect friend. It listens to me and it doesn't judge me and it doesn't offer advice when I don't want it. You know, well, that's because it just sits there. But when one of the characters went over and hits it, it's not just a skull. It is the skull of a bone claw and a bone claw comes out of the wall and attacks them too and bone claws are nasty too. So, now they got a bone claw and the beholder. But in the beginning the beholder's just like enjoying what is going on, you know, instead of like constantly trying to kill everybody. Uh, but then as it as it progresses it got more and more dangerous. Anyway, I rolled randomly not just for what the eye rays are, but who, who they targeted. So, I was not optimizing like, okay, this is a DC this is a con-based ray, I'm going to aim that at the guy with the crappy con. You know, I I, I had them go randomly. And uh, in one circumstance, the paralyzation ray hit the sorcerer whose con is like one or two or plus one or plus. I think it's plus one or plus two. And he got hit with it. And for three rounds, didn't make a saving throw, you know? So he basically spent the entire fight rolling, say rolling bad saves. And, you know, Again, it's like, if your goal is to make a monster seem really interesting and dangerous, being bored is not the feeling you're trying to go for. Mm -hmm. Bored and frustrated are not the two that you're trying to aim for. And thinking back later, it's like, it would be nice to either paralyze you till the end of your next turn, right? Which makes sense because you're like, maybe the beam is on you and then it's off you. Or do something a little craftier like you can fight through the paralysis if you're willing to take a a boat ton of psychic damage, which is a way to sort of transfer, you know, you have to now make a hard choice. Do I want to try for another save? Or am I going to go ahead and take the psychic damage or break out of it and now I'll be free again? I think that that's a nice, a nice tweak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, you know, all these things came up. But anyway, I, I was rolling randomly for all the attacks and I rolled a disintegrate ray on one of the characters who was the same character, same player whose previous character also got disintegrated.
0: <laughs> oh, So
2: She has two characters. Both of them were characters she has run for a while, like not just in the tomb. And both of them got disintegrated. <laughs> it was like, I felt terrible, right? But it was like, I'm rolling the dice in the open. Mm-hmm. They knew it was her character. They knew it was a disintegrate ray. And she rolled the save and failed. You know, and and that's, and and so, but it's one of those where like, well, we're all talking about it and we all know what's going to be. But I've talked to them on this show before that like everybody kind of, you know, thinking about, yes, we want deadly dungeons. And yes, we know that the tomb is really, this adventure is rough and we know there's dangers in tomb, but I'm still bringing my main down there. You know, they don't get it if they say say that, right? Like if they say, no, I'm going to go and use my main, they don't understand how bad it is.
0: Well, and and so this is is a problem that exists perennially with Death Trap Dungeons, which is why typically I don't run them unless there's a particular corner case to do so. Like I want my beholders to be deadly because I want my characters... Not only in this session, but in every other time that they might run into a boulder, I want them to freak out a little bit, right? But it's extra deadly because of being in the tomb, which I guess is why I'm not running that adventure. So,
2: well, so I have, I think, you know, we talked about before, like how do you, how do you handle that? Like how do you know what are the, what are the, what are the ways to kind of deal with the fact that you have this? Like a death trap dungeon is not bad if you have a bunch of characters you just rolled up, and in they go, right. right? They're bad if it's a character you played for a year. And you have this like story arc. with Right.
0: No, I've, I've run Death Trap Dungeons, but like I, I ran the original tomb um, out of uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal with my uh, after school student group. And it was like the last big hurrah at the end of the year. And we had like four or five sessions left after we finished up the story. And so it was like, hey, here's this thing we're going to do. You're all going to die. It's going to be fun. And whoever gets the furthest gets to keep the book as a prize. You know, uh, that that's how Death Trap Dungeons should function in my head is that they're contest adventures. They're not
1: story narrative adventures. So That's I, how they started too, right? I mean, Tomb, Tomb of Horrors was a Gen Con convention mod. Yeah, And it was also revenge against powerful right. characters. Right. That's right. <laughs> it was, and it, I, it was like, I, but it was like that, that, that I, for, for a reason, right? Yeah, like, right. When you have Tomb of Annihilation, the whole first three quarters of it is about the story. It's this death curse. And then you, you travel around exploration the peninsula yeah. and you do all this exploration. And then you go to Omu and you learn about all of these interesting characters and all of these NPCs and all these things happening. And, and then you go into the tomb of annihilation and suddenly that last quarter is a death trap dungeon, which is supposed to be connected to the story. But now you have a set of characters who've been alive for probably a really long time and they're not going to be alive for a really long time yeah and how does that serve the story and the beholder question is the same issue like how do you really run that beholder in a true beholder way and not just completely decimate the characters uh, in this dungeon right do you yeah. guys feel like dungeon of the mad mage
2: is a death trap dungeon though no not no not but necessarily. it's a mega
1: dungeon it is and, a mega and dungeon that, and it's and got a of story Right, but, well, sort of. Uh, but the thing is that, as with any mega dungeon, the real story is you go into the dungeon every session. Right. And that's not the way stories have been told right. up until now in d d 5th edition.
2: And I, I, so I think the solution, you know, like I've, I've had this hard, like, well, how do you, what's the way to run it, run it? And I think the solution I'm coming to is in the beginning of running Tomb of Annihilation, you make it clear that the characters... Are the, that get to and open the tomb are not the ones that are going to go in so instead of offering them a choice at all you say your goal is get the tomb get the get the keys and get the tomb open find it and open it right we will have other people that go in
0: yeah once you do that you know your, once you do that your, your, your patron started. will send other agents to go into right. the tomb
2: right and then that way it's not even a choice of whether players bring their mains in or not I, I, I just don't think they know. <laughs> well, like I think see. If when, you ask you know, them, they'll make the choice to bring their pain. Right. Here's what and I did, and then it'll be a real drag when they die. Right.
1: What I did, actually, when I ran this, and remember, I had to run it on a very truncated timeline. But when I ran it, the goal of you know the what the patron told the PCs they were going to be doing wasn't go into the tomb. The goal was find Omu and find out what's going on, and if you find an entrance to something bigger. Right. If you find evidence about something bigger going on, come back to us, and we will send reinforcements. Like that's how I set it up for my group. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think was, that's smart. Like, they got to the entrance and they wanted to go in and, themselves anyway. Right. So so, I, so
2: I, that's <laughs> everything I found is like even no matter what you tell them and no matter what options you put in, they're still yeah. going to take the mains. So right. you you instead you draw a wall and like we're running two adventures. One of them is open the Tomb of Annihilation, and the other one is explore the Tomb of Annihilation.
0: Well, and then I, w- I, then I would even make it possible, like, okay, so I, don't tell them this. Don't advertise it. But then, like, after you've had two characters die, then I'll give you the option to bring your main back in, right? Because they've been hanging out and doing their thing. And, and you know, what are the odds you're going to die three times? Maybe it's going to happen, but, but, you know, at that point, you know what you're in for, you know? I guess. I I, I don't know, though, you know? I Like, I again,
2: the, the player who had their character disintegrated before brought her next main
0: well and and but so the thing is is that there is some narrative and some story there that plays into the larger story and i could see like you want your character who started this story to finish it but if you send them in right away they're not going to make it right right
2: right anyway yeah so so I, i think i have some tweaks to a beholder that does not remove its the feeling and that sort of that threat of danger like i i don't think you should get rid of the disintegrate ray because uh, to me that is the iconic one i think removing the dead at zero from the death ray which seems weird but again like finger death does it i think that's okay too right. and then i think oh the other thing is about its central eye and a it basically can pivot around in any angle in order to be able to tune that central eye wherever it wants even if it wants a narrow beam sure right like you know you can kind of tune that but generally speaking it's going to shut it off because that seems like the best approach and and then give it legendary actions or legendary resistances so that it can deal with save or sucks. Those are my little beholder tweaks. So in some cases I'm beefing it up, in some cases I'm nerfing it a little bit. Right. Oh, and the one thing is on that paralysis. Give some option to break out of paralysis if you're failing to save, because the paralysis just kind of sucks. You
1: know. this uh this conversation actually reminds me of conversations uh sort of in the fourth edition days about yeah. you know being dazed being stunned right. being dominated right. Right. how bad that is from a player's point yeah. of view like from from the story point of view or from the like iconic actions of like say a vampire one of the iconic things they can do is dominate you right. know yeah. and so how do you nerf that and yeah. still let these players know that they're fighting a dangerous vampire right. like that's you know, I remember those conversations about being stunned or being dazed or being I know, dominated. I kept, I kept or, bringing uh, up the uh, the four E the original Dracolich. Yeah, it yeah. Breathe the
2: paraly- it Breathe the stun breath. Right, right. It was awful. Well,
0: and and so that and that's I think Fourth Edition like saw a mechanical element, and like Fourth Edition, I they it was largely boiled down to the numbers and the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they saw a mechanical element. They and they they probably no, they definitely overused it. Like it appeared t- too often in too many places. Uh, I think 5th edition, it seems like, and I haven't run the breadth of everything in the Monster Manual, but it seems like they've walked it back to a point that it shows up. Like, you can stun, you can dominate, but it doesn't happen very often. So when it does happen, it is a big deal and it is iconic. And you're not constantly doing doing this action management thing of, oh, well, you don't have an action this turn. Now I don't have an action next turn and whatever. The hard
2: part is I don't think a player ever gets hit with a stun and thinks, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, they always hate it. And it's just not, it doesn't, it's not iconic. It just sucks. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've had elements. You know why it's there, but nobody ever goes like, man, do you remember that time I got stunned?
0: Wow. Well, no nobody, nobody that. likes it, but nobody likes it any, getting hit with anything, nobody, right?
2: Nobody, like, they will talk about how they got disintegrated. They're not going they to talk about how they got stunned. Oh,
0: I think it's come up
2: like that. Uh, before, other, than, yeah. other than, other than, man, that sucked.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think it, it can work that way, but, but you, only in rare cases. Yeah. Only, only if you're, you're using it sparingly.
2: I, I like, I like the, you know, the, the sort of breakout, you know, breakout, take psychic damage one. I kind of dig because it's that like, that's you a neat know, idea.
0: I, I do like that, idea. you know,
2: clutching yeah. your hair. Like I, I have, like, I have, you know, in some cases, like, is it better for me to die? Like drop to zero than it is to be stunned. Will you heal right. me? You know? And that's, those are like hard choices that you have to make. Right. And I but- think that's that office. But you know,
1: but part part of this is also exacerbated by the fact that you're running Tomb of Annihilation. Like if you, if you had a party that was uh, going into a, a Beholder lair, and oh, so nice. they knew that what they were going to be facing, and it, that was sort of the culmination of one of the story arcs or something like that. You know, they could take precautions against those specific yeah. types of things Actually, that they've yeah. learned about about Beholders, but they can't do that going into Tomb of Annihilation because there's really no clue about what's in there because all everything right. is in there
0: right i got nothing else all <laughs> right good good cuz uh we all went successfully over time uh significantly so uh Woo-hoo. We win now, again. Now I've got this big long list of bonus questions. I guess we can just hang on to them and. and Someday we're going to have
2: soon. to just cancel the whole "let's all talk about our games" thing and just do bonus questions. You
0: know, yeah. I, I one of the podcasts I listen to is Judge John Hodgman, where every you know episode he takes he brings in a couple of litigants that are, have a fight or whatever, and he comedically resolves their issues. Right, and every now and then they'll have an episode where they don't bring in guests and they they're just like clearing the docket. Is what they call it, and they just go through a bunch of emails they've received but didn't have time to, to get to. That's that's what we might have to do sometime. We might just have to clear the docket and take all the bonus. That's, I would love to do that. Sure.
1: Yeah. Sometime when we're that's not, what the, the, you know, the saber die, the saber die podcast used to do that. They would call it going back in the hot tub time machine, and then they would just spend like the whole episode at reading emails and answering questions as the you know as if they were sitting around in a hot tub having having a, a discussion.
0: Ironically, than an actual episode. Ironically, this would have been the perfect time to do that because only one person play, <laughs> played since the last time we chatted.
1: <laughs> but yeah, here yeah. we are. We, 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 talk, we talked about
0: We this had a lot. Stuff. We always have. i have never worried about us not having stuff to talk about. So uh, we're going to call that the end of this episode of Behind the Game Screen. Uh, so uh, I guess thanks for listening and say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Bye.